If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. Thanks for tuning in and staying tuned in. If you're a new listener or you just stumbled upon us through a keyword search, this podcast is about tuning in. It's a resource that can help you make more informed decisions that can empower you to live healthier and a more connected life and in a sustainable way. If you've been listening to all 20 episodes so far, I hope you're experiencing the benefits of these conversations with these brilliant and thoughtful people out there doing the good work, the work that doesn't always get the recognition it deserves. My hope with each of these episodes is that to get down to the essence of the subject and that you might find a nugget or two or maybe more that can help you make better choices for the way you want to live and and affect the kind of change you want to see in your own life and in the world. Because some of these people are actual colleagues of mine. I've even been using these uh, episodes as a means of referral and networking so that my clients can preview the health practitioners I recommend or a subject or organization that I know a friend or family member might have an interest in. If there's an episode you think uh, might benefit someone, all you have to do is hit the share symbol. It looks like a uh, little box with an arrow pointing up, and you can email it or text it to them. This brings me to uh, an email that I got from Cliff in California, who writes, I really connected with your episode with Face It Foundation dealing with depression in men. I live in rural Northern California, and I wish there was a place like that here. I've struggled with depression on and off through my adult life and have a brother who has pretty severe PTSD from his time in Iraq and Afghanistan over a decade ago. I shared that episode with him and he thanked me, said it made him realize he's needed someone to talk to, needs to be better about sharing what's going on, but doesn't want to burden people. I shared with him that I've been struggling too and we decided to start meeting together once a week for coffee or to just talk about whatever we're going through. Uh, thanks for doing this podcast really helped me change my thinking about some important things. Thanks Cliff. Kind of getting choked up reading this one. I appreciate you listening and, uh, sharing the resource, uh, of this episode and for being a good brother. Sounds like you guys have uh, figured out a good way to connect and help each other. My episode today is with Zeke Freeman and it's a fun one. We're going to be talking about bees and honey. But before I get to that, I have to let you know that Highway to Health is now on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, and I think that's it for now. Uh, So no matter how you're listening to or sharing these episodes, we're even easier to tune into. Also, isn't it nice to uh, listen to these episodes without being told to buy something that you don't need or can't afford? Highway to Health is still ad-free, but I really do need your support. Each of these episodes takes me about 10 hours to produce, and uh, I, need, I need the support. If you'd consider donating uh, 5 to $10 a month, it will keep us from having to become reliant on sponsorship. You can go right now to patreon.com forward slash highway to health to donate. Also, don't forget, 
If you're a regular listener, subscribe to the feed on whatever app you're using so that we know you're listening. You can also subscribe to our Facebook page, Highway to Health Podcast, or our new Instagram feed, Highway to Health Blog, to stay tuned in and tuned up between episodes with insightful material curated by yours truly. Uh, One other thing, we're going to be launching our long-awaited website soon and are looking for written and video pieces, original content from people like you who are doing good work in the world and have something to share and say about your experience. You can email me your submissions directly at jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. Zeke Freeman of Be Raw Honey will be joining me in just a minute. I had the idea of talking to him after my conversation with Luke Peterson a few months back. You may remember him. He's the uh, regenerative farmer who reminded me of the complex ecosystem that our food comes from. And I realized that we didn't touch on bees and pollination and the critical process that was threatened a few years back as we saw our bee population dwindle. Uh, Zeke has been in the honey business for over a decade and knows a lot about bees, pollination, beekeeping, and why the populations of, uh, of bees continue to struggle, and uh, about how to harvest honey sustainably. With his background as a chef, he also shares his insights into using raw instead of processed honey, and lets me sample each of Bee Raw Honey's varieties, which I enjoyed quite a bit. I had so much fun doing this with Zeke at, his, uh, at Bee Raw's office in, and warehouse in Industry City, Brooklyn. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Zeke Freeman. Where did you grow up? Born in Seattle. Who you were born in Seattle? Yeah, born in Seattle. Um, grew up in a little town outside of Seattle called Snohomish until I was age eight. Okay. Parents divorced. My mom became a professor at William Mary College in Williamsburg, Virginia, moved east, and she was a professor there for, I guess, until I was in about junior high, junior high, beginning of high school, and then we moved to Northern Virginia, okay. Alexandria, right outside of D.C., and that's where I went to high school, and then went to University, uh, University of Montana. And then I went. Oh, you went back to Montana. And I went back to Montana. Yeah, I was like, "Well, got to go to college, so I might as well ski." What was the? Oh, that's was was skiing the draw. Skiing was the draw. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I had no idea what I wanted to do out of high school. I really did. I I was a I was always a terrible student, and at some point we can in, talk. In, in what way? I was a terrible student. Like I was disengaged. I look. I probably have some dyslexia. I probably I, I have the same. I, I, I have you know. I have I have some undiagnosed dyslexia. I have some definitely some hyperactivity, executive function stuff that was never really diagnosed. Totally, and me, me too. I have an eight year old son who's going through all this stuff and <clears throat> yeah. like bringing up all these kind of emotions and yeah. stuff that is yeah. like crazy for me. Good news is like there's so much more out there. I know for we, I, him. No, no one. It was completely unrecognized when I, I think I had the same thing. I, I know I had reading so, challenges. I, I know, and 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 I I had a specific moment in my 20s where I think I started to self-diagnose a little bit, and sure. I and I actually you know through books and whatever. I guess they were probably cassette tapes or something. But I taught myself how to meditate. You know, and wow. you know, learning learning different ways of Good thinking about doing I it. I self medicated in a whole different way. I, I did some of that for a while and the meditation came after. But 
but the but the meditation I think rewired something from for me like it I was able to actually like focus on things and I think it made a huge I wish I had found it then because you know yeah. it's probably only in the past five years that I found meditation and yeah. like the the difference it is um but anyway so yeah university so I wasn't a great student. what was your what was your major at, at, in Montana so I started as a business major and typically in school, I was like, this is suck. It's all bit book work and the professors are just blabbing at me and that's not the, you know, taking tests and yeah. horrible. So I left the business school and went to the food service management school. And that's when I started cooking. I had, I had huh. worked in restaurants all the time growing up in, you know, school in yeah. you know, after school weekends, yeah. summers, all that stuff. And, uh, I always knew that I had an entrepreneurial streak. Like I always was like. What's the business? What's the business? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You had plenty of energy with the uh, the ADHD. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Restaurants were good for me. Um, and so I went to food service management culinary school and, you know, was totally engaged. Was it there? In in, it was in, there. The yeah. University of Montana. Really solid school. And uh, finished finished my culinary school and really didn't know what the next step was. I was like, well, Montana's not the place to, you know, grow a career, <laughs> right. you know, meat and potatoes place. Um, what, what city is it in? Missoula. Okay. Awesome town. Fly fishing, skiing, mountain biking. I mean, it was an incredible place to go to mm. school and I would love to go back there and, you know, either retire there or have yeah. a summer place yeah. there. Like amazing place to be. Um, great campus life, you know, and great off campus life. It was just a really cool place to be. And just beautiful all the time. Um, but, uh, oh, I graduated from school and didn't know what to do. And my mom suggested I go visit an old family friend of ours who owned restaurants in Seattle. Old mm. French dude had owned restaurants in Seattle since like the 60s. Yeah. And Francois Kiesel. And uh, I went to visit him. And he was like, so what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be a chef. He's like, you want to be a chef? You are crazy. <laughs> But if you want to be a chef, you have to go to France. And this is what I'm going to do. You're going to go stay in my house, in, you know, outside in Royan, which is, you know, on the Atlantic coast near Bordeaux. And you're going to go to my brother's language school and you're going to learn French. And then after a few months, you're going to go to Grenoble where my other brother, he runs the hotel school in Grenoble and wow. you're going to cook with him. And then they're going to send you out to restaurants. And so that's exactly what it is. So for two years, it's amazing. <laughs> I went, I went to, I went to Royan and this, this like beautiful little small town on the Atlantic coast, just North of Bordeaux on the Gironde estuary. And during the day I went to, you know, school with like all these like fun kids. And most of them were like from, you know, there was kids from Morocco and Iraq and Japan and China and Hong Kong, like oh, all wow. like they'd all come to school there to learn French. And then they were going to French, like college, French university. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like the guy who's like, Ooh, like a, not a serious student. Yeah. yeah. I was there to like learn French and culture and stuff. So they were home studying and I was like out with the French people. And so wow. they all came in and knew all their like vocabulary and knew all their grammar. And I came in like could talk. <laughs> Yeah, and they were like, yeah. why is your French getting so good? I was like, because I'm hanging out with the French people drinking wine. 
That's... So, so I, so I, so I went to school during the day and weekends and evenings. We I travel around all the Bordeaux regions and drank cognac and Bordeaux's and. You know, that was my, like, introduction to, like, French culture and that's, that's, wine and food outside of Montana. So were you, like, right out of college, like, 22, 23 yeah, years old? 22 years old. It's perfect. It was amazing. So I left there, uh, went to the Hotel School of Grenoble, where Francois's brother was, and I spent about six months there. And that was really rough, because this was, like, you know, the, they were kids. These were not college yeah, students. Yeah. These were what they call college, and these were, like, 14 to, like, 18-year-olds. Yeah. You know, it was like junior high through high school <laughs> and, you know, I'm this 22 year old, like, you know, you know, and they are wicked rigid about their rules in the kitchen. Yeah. Like this is how it's done. And that's, that's how they learn. Like there's no kind of like in school there. And even in the beginning cooking stages, like there's no room for like interpretation, free, free, free form no, art. No. There's none of that. Yeah. It is very recipe technique specific. And so, you know, they're like, who are you? You don't know what you're doing. You don't even know how to make a pat brise, you know, like, like what's a pat brise? Yeah. See the pie crust. Um, so, so that was tough. And then it kind of continued for my first couple of, you know, internships. I'd walk in and they'd put me with this like 14 year old, you know, intern, you know, who, you know, was there, you know, he went to school, you know, French culinary school during the day and at night like he was there cooking and like he was the one in charge of me and i'm wow. like uh this is kind of weird really hard <laughs> very humiliating but i learned a ton yeah learned learned a ton and then it's a good way to get your ego in check and like oh i had to check my there's there, there, the, the and i know I, I spent a little time in in oxford for college and and even Same you know just like an old it's an old way of the the structure of schooling it's it's all about you know what came before and so you have to follow these 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 rules and you have to like it's like a belief system that you have to like you know really just let yourself get into it's not all bad no it's not you know i mean god knows we should still be teaching latin people yeah 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 and sometimes you know these i think we've lost a little bit of that in our culture like for sure now you know everybody has who has a microphone can do a podcast My daughter came home the other day and she was like, oh, I really like this song. I don't remember what it was, some pop song. I really like this song. I was like, oh, where'd you hear it? And she's like, oh, this has been our like, you know, end of day pack up song for the past like five days. Yeah. So like every day the teacher puts on a song that they get to like dance around to while they're packing up their bags. It's like, you guys have way more fun than we did in school. Like, <laughs> it was not like that when we were in school. And there was no choice time. No, there was no choice time at all. <laughs> Oh, wow. so, 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 so did, did you work over there at all? Yeah. Then so I, so I, so I went my first stage was in this, uh, small restaurant, one star Michelin restaurant outside of, outside of Lyon and really like sweet older chef had been, you know, running the place for like 20 years. I learned a lot there and, you know, met some, met some really solid people there. And then I got sent down to Monaco in the summer. And the school sent they me. sent down there as like, it was a punishment or no, something. No, it wasn't or? a punishment. It was just like, okay, here's your next stage. Like okay. this is, this is the next thing. And so they sent me to the, the, um, to Monaco and the whole, all of Monaco is owned by the prince, yeah. prince and yeah. the principality. Yeah. And they, there's a company called the society de Bandemere and they own all the hotels and all the clubs oh, and basically everything. The, the casino, they own everything. Yeah. Um, and they sent me to the Monaco beach club which was like only it was a seasonal restaurant right on the beach in Monaco 
you know, super, super Luke's and rich, rich and all that stuff. And I was in like the, the fast food restaurant at that hotel. And it was like, you know, fast food from French standards, right. you know, but <laughs> right. it really, it was like, yeah. you know, like, you know, you know, uh, is it like bistro type? Yeah, bistro. yeah, exactly. So like, you know, um, veal chops and, you know, salmon salads and nichoise and yeah, yeah. French classics yeah. and basics. But it was like, okay, so I did the summer there and it was solid and, you know, very high volume and not so much fun, kind of grungy kitchen, totally different from but the practice. experience, but good practice, totally solid. And, you know, I was like, I, I want something next. And they, they actually had a dorm for all the seasonal employees. Um, and the guy next to me was like, he was working at Alan Ducasse's restaurant, the Louis the 15th. And he was like, you know, you should, you should go talk to him, like come up there and you know, talk hmm. to him, see, you know, maybe you can get a stage. Like what the heck, you know, you speak French and you've cooked in cook now for a while like what? you were in montana two years ago and then what, what do you got to lose <laughs> exactly what do you have to lose you to go back to montana so you know he he gets me you know an introduction i go in i meet like the the assistant the assistant introduced me like send me in to see alan ducasse and you know he speaks to me a little bit he's like your french is okay what have you done you know i would hardly call it an interview and he's like well look if you're willing to stay for a year you can start tomorrow and I was like, uh, how about eight months? <laughs> you negotiated on the spot. I negotiated. What was I going to do? Like I'd been already been here for two years. Like my, <laughs> you know, my mom was paying my way, you know, I didn't have any money. Like I, you know, I totally felt bad about were, it. Were all. you kind of ready to go at that point? Or? I wasn't ready to go. I, by no means was okay. I ready to go, but I also didn't have any money. Yeah, and yeah. you know, my mom was kind of like, you know, how long is this going to go on? And <laughs> yeah. she wasn't prepared for a year commitment. Yeah. You know, so like I had to kind of negotiate. So I was like, look, yeah. I got eight months. It's <laughs> better than a year. Right. <laughs> so, um, so there you go. I, I, uh, next day I started the Louis the 15th and almost the same thing as like the 14 year old, like grabbing by the scruff of the neck, except it was oh. like 25 year old, <clears throat> like hulky dude, like, you know, rugby nose, yeah. scar <laughs> on his face. And he's like, viene pas moi with me he takes me in and like hands me you know some salad some lettuces and like here like this and that's what i did practically for the morning and for the next like three weeks was like picked this little salad greens and made the mise en place for like what they called le grand salad yeah, yeah. this like giant salad that had like truffles on it and all kinds of crazy different wild lettuces and all kinds of good stuff yeah. it was it was wild um, well, that's, that's, and you can't say, you can't like with a guy like that, you can't really say no to anything. I'm no, sure. you don't say no. You say yes. We chef, we chef. Um, <laughs> is it like, is it like the military in, in some way? And very, in, very militant. Wow. I mean like every, so, so we did approximately 80 dinners at night oh and about God. 40 during at lunch. And you worked both shifts and you got there at like, you know, 8 a.m did all your mise en place in the morning, did the service and between each service you cleaned the kitchen like it was an operating room. Yeah. Yeah. Like an operating room. I mean the floors, the gaskets around the refrigerator, inside the drawers, everything. I mean everything got put away, perfectly marked, dated, et cetera, et cetera. And then you came back and did it 
that evening again. They, they, they didn't need the the New York City letter I mean, grade we, system to and, and keep liter- it clean. like literally every every vertical surface got got stainless steel stainless steel polish. Wow. Every horizontal surface got you know windexed. I mean operating room. No fingerprints, nothing. And, That's amazing. And the last thing that happened at the very end is the bottom person in each kind of group, you know, ran a bucket, of, you know, threw a bucket of water down, mopped the whole thing. Everyone left, squeegeed it, and he walked out. It was nuts. Wow. Nuts. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was France. That was crazy. <laughs> um, so, 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 so you did your eight months? I did my eight months, and... Um, again, you know, I kind of didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, went to talk to, uh, the chef. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, it's like, you should probably go to New York. Like New York's your next stop. Yeah. Like what else are you going to do? <laughs> I, I think Missoula would be a good place. <laughs> Missoula would be a good choice. You should head back to, you should head back to Mountain's Kids. Really, You've got no really future. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's kind of what happens. I had one interview outside of New York, which was at the Inn at Little Washington, which is this amazing little bed and breakfast. Very, It's a pretty famous hotel outside of D.C., about two hours down the Shenandoah Valley. Gorgeous, gorgeous place. Um, but then I came to New York, um, checked out La Cirque. Um, what, what year is this? 98, 99? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 98, 99. Um, I, you know, so went to, I guess it wasn't the original Le Cirque. Le Cirque had just opened in whatever it was, the big space that it was in. Um, Danielle had just opened his yeah. new rest, his second restaurant. Um, and he had been at Le Cirque at the original restaurant. Um, so those were the two, I think I, I went to, maybe I also went to La Bernadette. Um, but Danielle and I, like we hit it off well, and then I got in there. And we were doing like 400 meals a day. And, you know, this was like, were you specializing at this point for, for him? I really wasn't, um, you know, it take, there's some, there's some time that goes in before you really get into a specialization. Um, you know, my, my skills were still pretty generalized. I'd, I'd seen a pretty decent amount of everything. Um, certainly my, bent was then and still is like meat i'm i can cook some meat yeah i can cook some meat (laughs) um you know um but uh we were doing like 400 covers a day uh a meal like maybe it was a day but it was a huge leap yeah same number of cooks in the kitchen yeah same number of people in the dining room and three times the number of meals. Yeah. And this was a restaurant that was supposed to be as high end and high quality. And I was just totally turned off by it. I was totally turned mm-hmm. off by the volume, by the quality, by how they ran the kitchen, you know, like it would not run like a French kitchen and like, okay, this is how you do it. And, you know, I had been, I had been freaking yeah. militantly yeah. trained at this yeah. point. Like, okay, this is how you do stuff. And they'd show you how to do it. And, you do it and they look over your shoulder and fix it. And you look over your shoulder until you got it right. And it was right every time. And you never, and it never changed, you know, there wasn't. And you know, this restaurant now it was like, you know, okay, really important client, like make it good. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? Isn't it all supposed to be like just so? And it wasn't, you know, and I was totally turned off by the whole situation. It was very high pressure, 
but like the love wasn't there for me. So then that's tough within eight months burnt out and I was out of there. I was like, I'm not doing this. This is not what I'm going to do. I went and visited a couple other restaurants looking to see like, you know, if there was something else that was a good fit, nothing felt right. Like all of, I was totally burnt and like, like tail between my legs, oh. not, not in a good spot. And you know, I was like, I'm not going back to a restaurant. So I literally, I left, walked out. You stay um, in New York, stayed in New York. Um, I had a girlfriend at that point and was living with her and, and I kind of like walked the city for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like, what the hell walk, am I walk about? And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial stuff started percolating again. Yeah. Like what did yeah. I want to do? And I was thinking about like this cooking school book, you know, shop type of place. And, you know, I didn't have any money. Um, but I, I walked into, walked into Dina DeLuca one day hmm. and I was like, huh, seems like, you know, this has got the, the, you know, it's refined and it's, it's clean, it's super clean <laughs> and it's got a clean look and, you know, like it, this, you know, it's got a lot of the things that I can imagine doing entrepreneur from an entrepreneurial yeah, standpoint. Yeah. Um, you know, this seems like it could work out. So, you know, I went in and I applied for a job. I got a, you know, assistant manager's role pretty easily and, hmm. um, you know, ended up spending the next like six or eight years there moving up the food chain, um, in different roles, different purchasing roles, different managerial roles. And, um, you know, spent the last couple of years there as the head merchandiser who was in charge of buying all of the selecting and purchasing everything for the catalog and the stores. So you really got way, way behind the scenes pretty fast. Very. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a pretty deep food knowledge Yeah, yeah. and a pretty natural managerial knowledge. And did, did, did they see that just from your, from your experience working in, in, in and, and being in Europe, maybe was that, was that a big, I think that was a big part of it. And you know, look, I'm not, not a shrinking violet. Never yeah, was. Yeah. You know, it's like I always move in every, from the time I was 15 years old and working, yeah. I always moved into some sort of managerial yeah. role yeah. very quickly. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, I don't, I don't support crap. Like I can't you, you, be, you don't like to take orders from 14 year olds. I don't like to take, yeah, that was really hard for me. Like <laughs> I could there imagine. was no space oh, for that would, because I, like, as soon as I saw that, like there was a better way to do it, that's the way I wanted to do yeah. it. Yeah. Even though that wasn't the way they did it. Yeah. What was the what was the first entrepreneurial thing that you dug into then? So um, the first the first real one at, in my adult life at that point because I had like I had mowed lawns I had like done oh, yeah. everything possible yep. you know on that scale um, when I was when I was a kid but my first adult one was when I was at Dean DeLuca I met this young Italian woman who was the um, the, the daughter of an olive oil producer in mm. Sicily. And she was at Columbia university finishing her graduate degree and about to, about to leave. And we fell in love. Um, and we decided to go open like a bed and breakfast agritourism in Sicily. And so I left Dean DeLuca and now I don't know what year we're in. I guess we're in the mid two thousands. Oh, and um, um, left in Deluca, 
and we went to Sicily and started working on this this bed and breakfast agrotourism stuff. I had you know a bunch of um, I had been practicing yoga for several years at that point, and I had a couple of yoga teachers that you know I got kind of on board to come bring groups immediately. So we had several yoga retreats right away, and um, yeah, just spent a bunch of time like doing kind of what I did in France or what I would have really loved to do in France, yeah. you know, really kind of turning that on and learning the Italian cuisine, really Sicilian cuisine and, you know, teaching people about it. And that was just, that was totally hot for me. That was just like the best because I got to take all of this knowledge that I gained at Dina DeLuca in terms of food knowledge, turn it on, you know, dial it into a specific culture and then, you know, hand deliver it to people. That's awesome. And that was just a ball. I really enjoyed my time there. And, uh, yeah, so I got to be kind of this brand manager for this amazing olive oil, really well-known olive oil company, and um, and developed this really beautiful thing. And so the relationship didn't work out in the long term. Yeah. Um, so that ended. But you know what I got out of that was kind of you know breaking the seal on. Okay, I can do entrepreneurship. I can you, do you, the next. You saw thing. enough behind the scenes too that you could kind of like. Go, I got go. so much from Dean and Luca, and I got so much confidence from what I did in Sicily that I was like, you know, when I came back to New York, even though like my heart was broken from the relationship, yeah, yeah, you know, like my, my, I was like, I wasn't going looking for a job. Right. I did not look <laughs> no. for a job. Yeah. You know, I just didn't, it wasn't even like on my radar. Um, so what did happen, um, was something where the seeds had been planted several years earlier at Dean DeLuca is, um, one of the great things about the job at Dean DeLuca was that it was one of the best known destinations. If you were, if you had a new food product, Dean DeLuca was the stop. Yeah. Like you go yeah. to New York and you present your product for Dean DeLuca. And so I had people, you know, five, six, 10 people a week walk, knock on my office door and yeah. say, wouldn't you like to try my such and such, you know, everyone's tried it and they think it's the greatest thing. Yeah. Greatest thing. Yeah. And, you know, 99% of those products were absolute schlock. And I, you know, do my best to yeah, say, oh, absolutely. Like, look, this yeah. is, I love where you're going. I love your heart. You know, I appreciate that's where it's from. But, you know, either the packaging isn't there or the product isn't there yeah. or yeah. the ingredients aren't clean enough, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I do yeah. my best to be, you know, as diplomatic as I could about, yeah. you know, turning them down and giving them some good critical um, point of view and direction. Um, and so one day this young lady comes in and, you know, uh, she was, she was quite attractive and relatively in interesting, kind of, kind of hippie-ish. And she had these vials of honey and she said, well, you know, I'm an artist and, you know, I've been painting and, you know, I got these, these vials from, you know, these vials of honey from, you know, my friend upstate and, you know, he introduced me to this other beekeeper over here and he gave me these, you know, these, these honeys and mm -hmm. I put them in these pretty vials and I put these vials in this cute little block and isn't it cute? And wouldn't you like to sell it? And it was a very unfinished product. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but the idea was really interesting and I was like, wow, that's a really beautiful presentation. And so what ended up happening is we, I ended up kind of consulting with her developing a retail package around the whole line. These, these vials, which are now what we call honey flights and then creating, um, the jars that you see in front of you that are, um, inspired by like, you know, um, USDA generic packaging 
you know, from like yeah, the yeah. early yeah. 40s and 50s. Yeah, I like it. Um, that, you know, just says, hey, this is raw honey, and then lets the honey inside the jar speak for itself. And you get all these different colors and textures and flavors yeah. um, that are based on the, the floral source. But anyway, so she, um, she brings me this product. I help her develop the product line around it and become her first, co- her first customer while I'm at Dina DeLuca. I leave, I go to Sicily. She actually comes with one of the yoga retreats. She's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how it's going. You know, we've had some success and, you know, Oprah wrote about us and Martha Stewart, you know, mm-hmm. had us, but like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I yeah. can't manage it. I've put a bunch of money into it. I said, you, you'll be fine. You know, you're doing great. Just keep at it. Yeah. You'll be fine. Come back to, when I come back to the U S look her up and like I said, I wasn't looking for a job, right. but, you know, see how you doing. She's like, I'm closing down the business. Hmm. What do you mean you're closing that business? Like, you know, it's going great. You know, it's fine. You know, she's like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Can't manage it. I've hired a manager. They're caught, you know, costing me too much money. Yeah. So on and so forth. And I was just like, well, let's make a deal. And so for kind of a no cash deal, I took over the business. She kept a small percentage and, you know, I already knew my way around this business. Yeah. You know, I kind of yeah. knew the product. My heart was in the product you know, I knew the story of the the design and the packaging and everything that kind of went around it. Um, she had you had you had the connections in the food industry I had already. My connections in the food industry, and so that was twelve years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I made a couple of changes to the business, um, and you know, she had kind of gone outside of the U.S. and started importing manuka honey from New Zealand and lavender honey from from France, and you know, this was not so long after, you know, this was kind of, you know, post Gulf war and like that period of time. So it was very like, you couldn't even say French fries at that point. Right. Like it was all about freedom fries. (laughs) So not that that's an excuse, but you know, there was kind of that mentality. So I was like, let's focus on us producers. Yeah. And to give you some of my backstory is why that was so important to me besides just the, you know, that reasoning was that I grew up spending my summers on my family farm. Yeah. So I was know, wondering, like, I mean, I, I felt like I knew there was a connection, but just because I know about this family farm. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up spending all my summers, you know, on the farm that my grandfather grew up. Where on. is it again? It's in Erie, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Right on Lake Erie. Um, my mom grew up, you know, r- running a tractor in the summers. Yeah. My aunt, my cousins, you know, I probably spent the most time there of my cousins. But, uh, you know, I saw. One, how hard it was yeah. for a family farm to like how much work that goes in, you know, day in and day out, nine months of the year. And then two, the amazing effect, the amazing outcome, the product oh, absolutely. of fresh produce Yeah, was um, my summers were similar. I think, I don't know if I told you this before, but I, I went to Iowa every summer, same, same thing. I mean, I wasn't the whole summer, but I'd spend a month down there every mm-hmm. year and you know be around the the farms and and you know you everything is just you know when it, you when you eat like sweet corn oh, out of the field for the first time like amazing. raw freshly picked and it's like shh, candy even when you're digging like radishes and Ugh. carrots out of a garden it's just like you know, and I and I, I remember as a kid sometimes dig, digging miraculous. digging stuff out and like just wiping it off enough to like I wanted to eat it right there with the dirt and like kind of dealing with the dealing with it right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I had these two things, you know, in my 
you know, one, I really understood how hard these guys worked. And two, I really understood, you know, I had such a strong feeling for how good it was and how important it was to me that, you know, I had that same feeling immediately once I started getting to know the business of, of beekeeping and making honey. Um, how did you, how did you learn? Did you, did you spend time around them? Just dug in. Yeah. Yeah. Just started spending time with the beekeepers and that's how we found other us beekeepers is, you know, it's a very close knit community and the good people, good beekeepers know other good beekeepers who have really solid practices. And that's how you that's how we kind of built our network of great producers. Um, is there, is there like a, I, I just talked to this, uh, a guy who does regenerative farming is is there something in in the way that honey is produced that has that where you're trying to i mean you obviously need to keep the bees or you know around yep the an, an area but you know some aspect of the honey is for them right and then and then you know absolutely so yeah so let's back up let's go to like eighth grade science right like eighth grade <laughs> life science yeah. here um so bees live in a colony that colony um, is, you know, runs on the core of a of a queen bee. And mm-hmm. The queen bee's job is to lay eggs. Okay, and and those eggs are fed by what's called a royal jelly, which is kind of like a con, or she's fed with a royal jelly, which is kind of a concentrated honey that has like 10, 10 20 times more energy than regular honey. Mm. But what bees do is they go out. Um, you know, they send, they send out little worker bees to kind of patrol Mm -hmm. and they find a good, um, good nectar source and nectar is their food of choice. It's like having fresh fruit and you know, they eat that and then they also make a preserve out of that. Is is each nectar source like dependent on like the The the, the palate of the queen bee? Like do they No, the nectar source is based on flower what flowers available okay so they go out there and whatever is blooming at that moment oh gotcha you know because flowers kind of more or less bloom at the same time right um depending on the different type of flower they they kind of bloom it all at the same time so whatever's blooming strong at that certain time the bees go out they're collecting nectar from that specific floral source Mm -hmm. they bring it back and they are making their food for winter. This is the original uh, canned yeah. green beans gotcha. or canned strawberries or your, you know, strawberry, you know, raspberry preserve, right? Yeah. This is the original preserve. So they take the, the, the fresh nectar. They essentially digest it a little bit to kind of create a, you know, a preserved condensed version, condensed version. Exactly. And that's honey. That's what we know as honey. And that honey is changed based on the nectar of the flower. So for us mm-hmm. and all these jars you see in front yeah. of you, each Why one of these different is, a, colors is and... a different floral source. So we have, you know, clover and sourwood and meadow foam and, and tupelo and all these are different floral sources. So we yeah. actually take our bees and we place them near one of those floral sources yeah. before it, before it um, blooms and the bees collect the nectar from that specific floral source and the pollen, you'll remember all the little hairs in their legs and, they yeah, also yeah. Get the pollen and the nectar and that pollen affect the flavor, texture, and color of the honey. Gotcha. And it changes dramatically from one to the next. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so you know, this was really attractive to me. It's like, you know, as a chef, I'm like, this is a whole new, like, spice cupboard. Yeah, totally. Of, of you know, flavors to, like, play with. Yeah. So as a chef, that was super inter- interesting. As a, you know, grandchild of a farmer, I was like, wow, these beekeepers 
have to work so hard to do this yeah that like let's focus on like our american and local beekeepers like let's let's do this like let's focus on these guys what, what year is this when are you starting to do this know, we're talking 2005 2005 2006 okay. I, I took over the business um and and so you know i don't know if you remember you know you remember that far back in terms of you know the food business but like gourmet and cheese and all yeah. that stuff was really just getting kicked yeah. off. Yeah. You know, it wasn't nearly as, you know, big a deal as it is today. And, you know, now I would say things are kind of gourmet washed and it's, that it's kind yeah. of everywhere every, all the time, which is not bad. And, it's and, a good thing. People are really any, paying attention to what they're eating now. Yeah. Whereas at that point it was still like a specialty food. It was still yeah. gourmet. Yeah. Whereas now it's almost expected, which is great. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were really kind of in the forefront of thinking about um, what what is important in terms of producing a product mm-hmm. and what makes it different and unique and sustainable and um, something that is has an effect on the environment as well as on people. Yeah, um, and that was and that was you know and still drives us. Yeah, and, know, and so, so tell me tell me about the sustainable part because I. I because I've been on your newsletter for a while mm. and I, and I see different things that come in. You, you, you got, and, and because you started a, a, a nonprofit that's part of your, that's part of b Right. You, you, you've, you put a lot of, you know, detail into, um, you know, the, the, basically the, the honey that you're getting is, is the, is the, you know, the surplus for what's what the bees need Can I, and I, I don't understand that process so how to explain that part of it right so so beekeeping itself is and the process of collecting honey is a little bit it's kind of trickery to some extent um in terms of how we get bees to because you got to get it from them somehow. you have to get it from them. <laughs> but more than that you have to get it from them and there to be some left over right right and so if the, if there were um and for the most part now like honeybees are not a wild creature. They are pretty much kept. I wouldn't say they're domesticized, but they are pretty much kept. They don't survive any longer in, in the wild. They've been kept for an eon. And, um, most of what is kept are European honeybees, um, or Italian honeybees. And, um, they, in the the States worldwide. Okay. Worldwide. Um, there are some, there are some, breeds that are Russian. There's also, you know, killer bees, you know, African bee, African mm-hmm. bees, they're mm-hmm. all related, but, um, European Italian honeybees are the most docile okay. and produce the most honey. Oh. So they're the ones that are most often kept. So if they just had a hive, once they filled it up, they'd be like, okay, I'm done. We're full. We've got enough honey for the winter. And they so wouldn't continue to they work. They wouldn't continue to really work. They wouldn't have to like fill that pantry right for the winter so beekeepers what they do is they add on they put an addition essentially on the hive and they these are those those like square boxes there's a portion that they 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 know there's some equation probably right of like how much you can take of that to keep them so there's 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 a bottom box um, which is called the super and that gets filled up and you know so there's one of them that is where um, all of the breeding happens, where yeah. the babies are laid and, you know, is completely separate. Then there's the second one, which is the first honey super, which, you know, is the, the becomes the food stores for the bees. And then you stack on top of that and the, the bees fill um, as they go up. 
and you know you can have four or five boxes high and the ones on top of the ones you can take and leave you know enough honey behind for ah. for for the bees and for for the winter state okay um so you know you know, that's not to say that that's what everyone does. Right. Right. Of course. You know, and I think that that's what you're alluding to is, you well, know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, you know, I, I know within like say the vegan community mm-hmm. that that has become an issue of, of, you know, if, if you, if you're choosing not to eat anything and any animal products and you know, that, that, that eating honey is one of those things that's like a no, no in, in, in the vegan community. I, 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 you know, if there's a sustainable way of keeping those bees and and more bees happening by having them be involved right. if they're kept i'm right. wondering how, how you yeah, how you, know, how you vegans address are that. funny you know vegans are funny because i mean look uh, you know at the end of the day honey isn't so much different from milk right you're right. not going to convince a vegan to start eating dairy you're right so there's right. there's one part that's the dietary right and then there's the other part of it it's like the okay social. these are the the right the social part the, yeah. you know the part about you know is is this a humane way to treat an animal right right, right. and that's a that's a different topic so um from that point of view you know that part we can change we can't we can't change the part that it's still an animal right. product um but let's say even i mean because because the the farmer that i worked with uh, talked with recently was telling me that in order for him to close the chain on on and do regenerative farming, he needs to have animals on his farm. Right. Right. That's and, right. And so because that that is one way to create sustainability. Sure. And and really the you know, at this point the only way to not have to deal with like sourcing petrol to get his stuff shipped to him or getting it sure. from a supplier or getting manure and, and from I, a supplier. And, you know, he, you know, ideally he probably has bees. Like if he keeps tomatoes oh, yeah. of or course strawberries yeah. or broccoli like all of those crops will benefit from right. having bees who are pollinating them. They will increase the yield of what he's getting yeah. and everything will grow better or, or what he's growing that can attract the bees in That's the first right. place. That's yeah. right. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, I'm curious just because part of what I'm trying to kind of dig into in the podcast happens to, you know, while I'm talking about, about health and looking at, at what this balancing act is, I, I'm, I'm, going beyond health care yep. to what what is this balancing what act the, what are the inputs yeah and what are the inputs what are the things that we can control that we put in our body every day right other than medicine right <laughs> what is our daily what is our daily our daily our daily dose of what makes us makes thing what's good for us yeah and how is it produced and how can we produce it well that's better for the environment so that we all live better yeah well yeah, that makes sense that's part of it <laughs> and 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 knowing that like honey has been used for eons as a, a you know an elixir of sorts for all sorts of things. Oh my god! I mean, you 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 could talk about like we could spend a podcast on that alone, right? Is that right? Like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 antiseptic. You can put it on burns and cuts, and they will heal heal better. If you you know suffer from things like rosacea or skin, any sort of skin things, like yeah. you know, I I get some like weird skin stuff in the in the winter. Um, you know, and you put honey on it and it just clears right up, you know, even just dry skin, it's a humidicant. So it actually pulls moisture into it. It softens and moisturizes your, your, your skin. It's, it's, it's astounding. Um, you know, as you know, it's the base to my sports drink because, you know, a teaspoon of sugar, you know, this has 60 calories in it, Mm -hmm. a squeeze, a squeeze of lemon, a pinch of salt, and you've got an incredible like recovery, you know, recovery drink, you know, in a liter of water, 
that you know crushes coconut <laughs> coconut right. water and is next to free. And and and, and the there's thing so, that I, there's so much beneficial. To there, it. It's 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 an unprocessed thing, which which is the thing that I'm starting to become more interested in. You know, having this conversation with this farmer recently about you know the the soil itself and that you know there's all this there's all this fungi and bacteria and this good stuff that actually is in the soil that that comes through those plant roots into the into the plant or into the flower that the bee is then you know cultivating as well i you know and a part so part of me and you know i've 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 been kind of minimizing my animal uh, mostly especially the the ones that i think are the big are, animals the, the big animals <laughs> Because there are some there are some environmental issues around that, some. and and, and <laughs> we need to we need to kind of be considerate of some of those yeah. things. At the same time, like I I'm, I'm always working for myself, trying to figure out what is this balancing act. I also want to like stay healthy enough to raise my children. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. You know, and I, you also I, want to enjoy life. And, and, and yeah. you know, look, beef is good, tastes great. Right. You know, right. and you know you can do everything you want to. You know, go with. Uh, grass-fed, et cetera, et cetera, and do the best you can to make it good for you as well as good for the planet. But at the end of the day, like it's a big animal yeah. who produces a ton of carbon dioxide yeah. and just is not good for the environment. Yeah. I mean, Especially since they're growing water. in California and they need so uh, much water. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they consume tons of water, tons of food, um, produce tons of carbon dioxide, and it's really... Uh, and. And that's not even getting into the industry of bee farming. Yeah. But yeah. It's well, and, and, and then bees also serve this other, the, the, the pollination process, yeah. which is, which is a whole other aspect of bees that we, we know. I mean, I think it wasn't even being discussed in 2005. They, Absolutely th- not. This is, this is kind of a, maybe the last five years type of topic. Right. That, and so that's that you were, you were talking about, you, you mentioned our, 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 our foundation, the save the bee raw, save the bees fund. And so. I guess it's been even a bit longer than five years now. I guess it's been about seven years. Um, we had a really significant um, bee die-off, um, and bees were disappearing left and right. And it was, you know, front-page news in a lot of places. Yeah. And it was this big question mark, like, what's happening with the bees? Bees are dying off. What's going on? What the heck is happening? And people were like, it's cell phones, and it's... You know, all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, coming out. What, what, what did your bee farmers say at that point? At the very beginning, they really didn't know. I mean, they really didn't have any idea. And, you know, we had a we had a little bit, we had a bit of a business crisis at that point um, because we had, you know, a couple of beekeepers who didn't have any production for, you know, a year. And it, you know, put us in, in some dire straits in terms of, you know, fulfilling our customers' requests. But what came to be found out pretty quickly um was that you know it wasn't any one thing right it was a whole bunch of inputs Mm -hmm. and you know as we know more and i think what i you know definitely know really feel really strongly now is that you know it is um it is true across our entire food system. And what has happened with the bees is endemic across our food system. Yeah. And let me explain to you basically what, ha- what, what happens in beekeeping and pollination um, industry-wide for the most part in the United States. Is today, honey price, honey is not what beekeepers make money on. They make money from pollination. And the same as, you know, family farmers have dwindled and dwindled and 
farmer farms have become bigger and bigger and producing more and more beekeeping has become the same way so so by pollination you mean like the service part of the service part of pollination literally the beekeepers are now managing thousands of hives yeah they're putting them on trucks they're trucking them across the country to blueberry farms in maine yeah, or yeah. almond groves in california um peppers in the south and they move mm-hmm. them all around the country all year long following these crops and when i say they like load them by the thousands onto the backs of trucks truck them across the country you know drop them in an almond field you know f- before there's any almonds blooming any almonds flowers blooming um, you know, once upon a time there was natural flora blooming all around an almond field, but today in farms, it's all about yield. So every square inch that can be plowed under hmm. around that field has been plowed under to make sure that, you know, that those weeds quote unquote, right. are not taking any nutrients from the soil yeah. and not pulling any moisture, any moisture from the soil. And those almonds will yield as much as possible. There's no natural flora around. Right. So they drop them in these, you know, wastelands of almond trees that aren't blooming yet. Feed them sugar water for a week to 10 days until all the almond trees start blooming. Because the, because the process is all about maximum yield. Yeah. The more flowers that are pollinated, the more fruit that gets gets born, right? So they put four to five times as many bees in the almond grove that is even necessary. So there's not enough food. So it, there's it, not it, enough food from that almond yeah. to even feed the bees that are there. So they're fed more sugar water. Literally corn syrup. I mean, we're talking about like corn syrup and water in like a little in a in a bottle. Literally <laughs> in a bottle, stuck in the top of the hive, Drip, drips oh in there, and that that's that's the food. And then. The, the almond bloom stops and the bees are sitting there still, you know, yeah. in the sun, no fl- natural floor around them, and they are fed more sugar water. So, you know, just this one little space. They've been trucked across the country, fed sugar water, you know. For this just minute period of time to to deal with the bloom. Right. So, look, it's not that's not bad. Pollinating no, no, almonds no, right, is bad. Right, right. But the whole process of how we're treating. So, so what kind of health condition would you be in had you been fed corn syrup right. for three yeah. weeks to a month? Right. Right? You're immunosuppressed. It's, it's, it's like You're the, malnourished and yeah. immunosuppressed. Yeah. So, of course, a pesticide's going to kill your whole hive and all the hives around you. Yeah. Just the littlest touch of a pesticide. Yeah. Right? Even, even if it was just like a whiff, a, bre- a breath blowing in the wind, you know, you're you're immunosuppressed, yeah. you're malnourished, you're yeah. weak as could be. The, the, the bees version of the common cold, you know, everything is now the plague. Yes, right? I, I get it. And yeah, so totally. that is endemic across all these hives now yeah. that are going left and right across the country nonstop is we have, you know, these, these malnourished, immunosuppressed, you know, hives and apiaries that, um, you know, can literally be knocked over. Like, it's sim- so similar to like, 
not allowing crop rotation to happen where the, the, the land sits for a period of time and is just able to like reabsorb nutrients. Or and, why, you know, or why cattle farms have all these very unhealthy cattle this, because they're in this pen. Small not free space. Range. Yeah. You know, of course it's diseased. Of course they need antibiotics. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's endemic across our entire food system. So. You know, that, again, it kind of backs up to, like, what I knew about farming growing up. And certainly the, the few cattle that my grandfather had, they were totally free-range. Yeah. And, you know, was, and why there were a few. And then why there were a few. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it was pastoral. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, boy, was that grass that, you know, they were pastured on. Boy, was that grass healthy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. there was a reason why that manure went back into the field and got tilled into the field, you know, at the end of the, at the, end of the season. And, you know the crops got moved around to something else and he grew clover on that field until it was tilled in the next year. And, and, and these are the, this is the kind of thing that I feel like where there, there's, you know, it, 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 it comes back to our, to our food and it comes back to our, our relationship with nature and with the planet. We've, we've, we've completely lost this sense that we actually are, are getting, fed by this planet and this solar system <laughs> you know yeah it and it's it's so hard for us because we basically go from an enclosed home to an enclosed vehicle to a workplace to a grocery store and this is this is our you know this is our trough that we kind of stay within we don't even have a sense unless we live in a in a rural area or unless we're farming the land unless we're like getting our hands dirty and seeing what's you know what's actually happening at the root level we have no sense of this stuff right and 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 i think even even the people who are interested in it ends up being kind of to to use the word i was talking about earlier an agriturismo right yeah it ends up being agriculture tourism you know it's yeah. very portlandia-esque <laughs> totally in terms is. of the people who act like they care yeah and they're into it and oh where is it from what's the chick what was the chicken's name right like, <laughs> you know, there, there's all of this kind of bluster about it, but you know, then they go to a restaurant and they order whatever off the meal and they're like, eh, whatever, you know, it happens one meal a, a week that yeah. they care about, yeah. you know, they're not really thinking about it. And look, we know how difficult life is. Yeah. Life's tough and, you know, people are busy and, you know, the, the agriculture system and the grocery system and the distribution system make it very easy to not think about that. And yeah. They don't want us to think about it. And I think our, our, you know, just the industrialized complex of our, of our daily lives at this point is just pushing further and further towards like the, 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 my, my, my new pet peeve is productivity because I feel, I, I, I feel like that's fascinating. How much further, how much more productive, like how many more hours a day can I possibly spend being productive sure. towards what? Yeah. You know, I, um, I make a habit of walking through grocery stores and um, so I drive an electric car and uh, I stopped today on my way back to the city and I plugged in my car and it was the place to plug in was right next to this Aldi supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I'd never, I'd never been in. I, one. I know, I know, I know about the, them. I know yeah. they're around. I'd never been in them. I knew, I know that they are like, you know, from, I think that's a, it's a German grocery chain that, that originally was known for kind of Trader Joe's type. Exactly. You know, special, originally like odd lots and they'd sell the yeah. dented cans, I guess, something yeah. like yep. that. But I walked in there and this is like the low end version of that. And everything was in a box, a pack, 
package plasticized the romaine if you would call it that the meat the fish was all vacuum packed and sealed i mean there wasn't anything i mean you couldn't smell anything mm-hmm. there it it was sterile yeah it was sterile and and that is just so true of all of our food system yeah. now and yeah. look that's the extreme but i do think that that's where the large majority of people how they are shopping today yeah whether even, it's fresh or boxed yeah even even they are buying sterile yeah and and even the way we eat now i mean i think we've we've grown accustomed to sterile even if you eat salmon or chicken or whatever it is that is now the if if you eat chicken from a farm where this this you know chicken ate grub worms and and you know stuff out of the dirt compared to one that was from an industrialized shed yeah it's got a smell to it it smells like chicken right and we don't want our food to smell like that and and you know wild salmon smells fishy yep. it's supposed to smell right <laughs> and has a texture it's, it's and... eating algae and you know stuff from the sea that's right. what that's what it's supposed to that's right. smell like it has a texture you actually have to chew it <laughs> uh yeah so so the the things that I was sort of attracted to when I when I was getting some of these these newsletters were like, and this is one of these things I feel like, yeah, we're busy. We can't we can't possibly like you know pay attention to every aspect of all these things. We can't you know support every bee farmer and every you know no we can't cause. But but I think there are like little things that and, and I just bought a house recently, so I'm like. I now have this yard that I'm like exploring and thinking about what am I going to, what am I going to do with this yard? <laughs> You're going to get a beehive? Well, but the thing, the thing that you, you had in your, in your newsletter for B-Row was, was, you know, stuff about like sort of simple things that you can think about, like letting, letting dandelions sort of, you know, come up and, and you can, you can, you can wait for that with the thing that we call the weed to flower and then take it out. I sure. mean, simple. Uh, so tell, tell I me, mean, look, I mean, though, in, in, the, you know, it's, it's very, counter what um it's very not, it's counter not sterile it, it's not <laughs> sterile right it's very counter of the suburban mindset and you know this is not to you know be down on the suburban mindset but you know it's like everyone wants the perfect green lawn yeah um but that perfect green lawn is sterile and it's not good for the environment yeah. and it's definitely not good for bees yeah right so you know, a couple of things you can do is yes, let your, you know, stop using pesticides and fungicides and, you know, uh, you know, weed killers on your lawn Yeah. because it will, you know, those, those are killing pests that are good. Yeah. Those, you know, those weeds are, are natural and they're good and they, they, and they, bugs they, that birds eat and all these things all that, that stay stuff around is, is really, is really positive. You know, plant some, you know, plant some wildflowers, plant some relatively indigenous wildflowers that just do their thing and bloom, you know, not just in the spring and not just, you know, at certain times of year, but, you know, plant, you know, a variety so that you're getting, uh, you know, a mix of flowering plants all summer, you know, all season long. Yeah. And, um, and the places that the bees, you know, burrow and the like. Like having plastics underneath your yeah, it's, it's it's really bad. And so we're not just talking about honeybees in this case. Right. Like we're talking about all well, pan- pollinators, right, right? There's right. there's all kinds of natural bees that you know that bore into the soil. That you know that you know there's wood bees. There's all kinds of bees 
that, you know, when we plasticize everything, they don't have a natural place to live. Right. And it's, and it's just not healthy for the environment. So the same as because you, they, want, because they, you they, want worms in the soil. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you want, you want natural bees flying around because they are natural pollinators. You yeah. know, they're, they're pollinating everything around us as well as that broccoli field and that pepper field. And exactly. That strawberry. So this guy's not carting bees around from place to place trying right. to like get his crop to grow. You know, so, you know, one of the, so, so that's, you know, a couple of things that, you know, people can do every day all the time. You know, the things that we do is, you know, we work really closely with our beekeepers so that they are, you know, they have a list of kind of best practices that we, we've learned, you know, work really well over the years. And, you know, those are, you know, find, you know, really working with them to find um, forage locations that are away from, uh, away from, you know, standard, standard crops that, you know, are GMO that are the pesticides are being used on. Mm-hmm. So we're either looking for wild, um, floral sources or we're looking for organic floral sources. And obviously that's a lot healthier for the bees. Yeah. And, um, and we found that, you know, with our best practices, um, and not, um, and our beekeepers not trucking their bees all over the country, focusing on those floral sources, you know, for our specific floral types, they're able, we're able to pay them significantly more for their honey and they are, you know, less dependent on a pollinator check. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So they're making good money from their honey now. Yep. They don't have to truck their bees around. So their lifestyle gets better personally. Yeah. Their bees are healthier and we get a great crop. Yeah. So, you know, that's just, that's the kind of the sustainable process that we do. And, you know, that's the next thing that consumers can do is, you know, look, you don't, It'd be nice if you could, you know, shop at a farmer's market every day. Yeah. But pay a cup attention to a couple of things. You know, the things that you can control, you control. You find vendors like ourselves that can't that produce a product a certain way and stick with them. Yeah. Because they need you. Like yeah. we need customers to come back. Yeah. You know, we're not just a gift. You know, we need customers to support what we do because we support what they do. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what's beginning to, you know, really lack. Is it's, it's sinking in with, with the, with the movement of, of organics. I mean, there's, I there's, there's stuff true. happening. The, the problem, the problem is that, you know, with everything, other problem we've talked about is that there's so little brand loyalty. Yeah. There's yeah. less and less brand loyalty. So it's like, yeah, we have to market constantly and bring in new customers yeah. where if we had, you know, customers that came back twice a year, mm consistently and bought and you know twice a year even in small quantities yeah you know that's more sustainable and it's more sta- sustainable for all businesses yeah so it's like you know f- find your olive oil that you like and is produced by a family farm find your maple syrup find your honey find your you know I, you know i just started subscribing to a um a wild sockeye salmon share hmm. you know and i get i get a you know like six fillets once a month and you know, I'm sporting, you know, supporting a family of fishermen in Alaska yeah. who they're pulling the stuff in yeah. sustainably yeah. freezing it themselves and shipping it. So I've got, you know, I've got these guys out yeah. there who I'm now supporting and yeah. like find little things like that, that you yeah. can support. You yeah. know, it's like, of course you're not going to find, you're not going to go taking a and drive every your... weekend to the chicken farm. Yeah, right? exactly. But if you can do a couple of things like that, that, it, you know, it really makes a difference. And just follow your interest. I mean, if that's, I think if you, if, if you find something that you, 
you know that you're really into one thing. Just just try to try to track that down to that to Absolutely. that level. Absolutely. I I, I totally I I, I kind of before before uh, I knew we were going to meet, I, I had to dig into your website a little bit because I there's there's I I, I knew. I, I think I've seen maybe some of the videos and stuff that you've done before with with cooking. Yep. When you when you had a little more hair, it was pretty awesome. But 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 it was but it was fun to see. Like, Folks, that's not to say that I'm bald. It's just that I had long hair at the time, and now I have short hair. It was a little bit. It's not side, to say that I was a little sideshow Bob, baby, at that point. <laughs> but it was but it was but it was cool because you you did sort of like marry all these pieces of you that were like. Like you're uh, having like drinks in there with that, that with, you know, using, using what you have here, but with your sort of culinary skills. So there's, you know, check it out, folks. There's lots of like great recipes on there for all sorts of things from like entrees, desserts, drinks, cocktails, it's, it's it's, cocktails. I mean, I gotta say that's my favorite part, you know, and it's pretty, it's like, it's like, you know, the, just all the colors of the, I, 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 that's my favorite part. Cocktails over the past couple of years has been my, that's, that's been my like pet project is like creating honey cocktails. They're, they're so much fun. Everyone likes them. Yeah. Yeah. They're fun to create. They're pretty. It's, it's, yeah, it's an easy (laughs) sell. It's, it's definitely an easy (laughs) sell. Well, and when we do, when we do promotional stuff, it's easy to like, mix a bunch of cocktails and bring them with us. And, you know, everyone wants to try a cocktail and yep. that that's easy. Um, but yeah, you what's know, it, what's your favorite honey of, of the varieties? Um, so in front of you, you have, let's see, we have five honeys here. We usually, we have, so we usually like Florida, carry, we carry Colorado. Yeah. North so these Carolina, are all specific Oregon, floral Georgia. sources from specific States. So we have, um, Florida, orange blossom, Colorado, um, sweet yellow clover. I think you should try that first. Cause this like, so there's kind of like, People who grew up with honey either grew up like with clover honey because they kind of grew up in the north yeah. in the in the in the Midwest, yeah. and there's a ton of clover honey, or yeah. they grew up in California or Florida and they know orange blossom honey. Okay. And then there's you know some who like might have grown up in the South and they know Tupelo or something like that. But that's that's kind of it. The rest of us kind of knew like generic honey. But when you grew up in the Midwest, you knew clover honey. And when you taste our clover honey, the way it's produced and the way we manage it, it is so pure and you get these like notes of butter and nutmeg and cardamom and just all these kind of exotic spices. And that's very buttery, very buttery. And it crystallizes like that. And naturally you kind of get this like round crystallization and this white creamy consistency that just doesn't happen. And that's, you know, part of the fun crystallization process and of each honey being different because while it's the same in terms of each honey is the same in terms of its molecular quality, each honey also has different levels of moisture content. Oh, yeah, the yeah. pollen itself that's in the honey is bigger, smaller, more of it, less of it. So you can see it in like the, in the, the North Carolina sourwood. sourwood is like kind of like crystally it's crystallized, it's separating, you know, you get the, the meadow foam is extremely crystallized, almost like shaved ice. Yeah. Um, you know, your orange blossom will be kind of this drier crystalline kind of square crystals. You get others that'll kind of be more like shaved ice or like wet sand. Um, but yeah. And, it, and the it, color, it, the color varieties are, I, I think it's amazing. I think, yeah. I find it fascinating. You know, people, you know, sometimes people will get the honey and they'll be like, well, it's crystallized. Is it any good anymore? Mm, and yeah. Yeah. Like, in fact, it's best. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I mean, the, the crystallization shows that it's, that it's, we haven't even talked about processing 
right? We haven't talked about processed versus unprocessed, right? The, the fact that it's crystallized shows you that this is an unprocessed honey, that it is mm. in its natural state. Okay. If they had been processed, they would have been micro, it would have been heated up to 300, 400 degrees, forced through micro fine uh, uh, filtration to pull out all the particulate matter for the purpose, for the sole purpose of it not crystallizing on the shelf because yeah. the Ster- commodity. Sterility. That's right. So that's right. So that because the commodity business thinks that we all want that perfectly amber colored liquid honey bear in a plastic honey bear. Right. Um, I have this like dream of doing an advertising, (laughs) um, this ad that's like a wanted poster with the, with the honey bear on it, like wanted, like dead or alive, black and white, the honey bear on it. Um, but in fact, you know, raw honey that's that's unprocessed it crystallizes each one crystallizes differently so it has its own color its own texture its own flavor and when it's crystallized you know you have these different sen- you senses on your tongue you've got sweet and salt and bitter and sour yeah, yeah yeah and when it it's completely liquid it hits your sweet taste buds first hmm. so you get all the sweet and then it dissipates very quickly off your tongue because it's liquid it goes boom and it's gone yeah. when it's crystallized it has to melt on your tongue so you get all of the other yeah, components yeah. of the flavor, not just the sweet. So, you know, it's in your mouth longer and you get all the savory notes and the sour and the bitter notes. And there's just so much more to it than sweet. And, and that's, you know, sweet is what most people experience when they, you know, taste the honey bear, which to me, you know, tastes like, you know, it's basically honey flavored sugar syrup. You know, it's it's not honey. So is, is there, is there one that you prefer say with like a tea or a... Yeah. So, so I have, I have preferences for tea. I have preferences for cheese. I have preferences, ah. um, for my miso glazed salmon recipe. Um, so yeah, so I go, generally go with light, lighter, more floral varietal, like a, a New York basswood, um, for our, for our, for, for tea. Um, the sourwood, which you're tasting right now, it's like very really light, but also it's very honey. It's very honey. It's very floral. Like you get, yeah, rose, floral, you get exactly. rose and like magnolia. You also get those buttery notes. Um, and you get a little astringency out yeah, of a little, it. The more astringency. I think that's the light part. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's, that's one of my personal favorites. It's a very rare honey it grows in the, in the Appalachians at a fairly high elevation. That's pretty moist. Yeah. So the bees aren't always flying when the blooms are blooming it, for the sourwood, but it just makes it's got, it. It's almost really, kind of like lifts off your tongue a little going, bit, right? Yeah. Like it's, it has a very long, you know, these are wine, wine totally concepts, yeah. right? It's a very long finish. Yeah. Um, just keeps going and opening up and just hanging out there. Um, but like, that's fantastic with like, a is fruit. there kind of like a, almost, a, I mean, th- this one in particular almost mm-hmm. feel ha- has like that sense of what a ferment, a fermented thing where it just oh, kind sure. of like lifts. You can yeah. kind of feel it. Yeah, absolutely. It's like in the, in the air in yep. my mouth now. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, that's fantastic with like, you know, fresh camembert or a brie, mm. um, this next one, which is this, this one's really interesting. We, we only recently found this a couple of years ago and, uh, it's called meadow foam. And the reason called meadow foam is, is it's a, it's a flower that grows kind of a small bush. Maybe it gets about a foot high off the ground, but they grow it commercially for its seed and it's seeded and they make an oil, which is used in cosmetics. It's very Ah. good for the skin. Um, but it, it grows in this kind of like small 
bush that's about a foot by a foot um, and puts off these white flowers that cover the whole thing. And then, then like, you have a field of them, and the field, like, when the wind blows, it kind of undulates, and it kind of gives it this foam ah. look. So that's why it's called a meadow foam. But this is really interesting because it makes this honey that is what I would say is the most unhoney-like honey. Mm. Get notes of, like, cotton candy and <laughs> oh creme brulee. Yeah, it's, it's like caramel. Cake. Like, yeah, cake and caramel. <laughs> Carrots like caramel cake. It totally is. Yeah, I always taste cotton candy. Mm. You know, and it's almost almost unnatural to, yeah. an, to yeah. an extent. Like, when I say cotton candy, like, almost that it, sugar, caramel. I can, like I not can almost kind of, kind of understand... So is is this the stuff that's good for skin? It could it, is this this kind that you well, use on skin or is like it? I would use anything on skin. Any honey, <laughs> any honey is good on skin. Metal metal foam, the the oil that they make out of the seed has nothing to do with the honey. Yeah. Um, but uh, oh, that's interesting. It's that's that's just interesting it's, flavor. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I, really I can't even like pinpoint it. Yeah. But definitely, it go. But that that goes really fantastic with like your mountain cheeses, like Gruyere. But no, I could see perfect. I could see using it in baking or something yeah, too. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. All right, I'm ready for the next one. <laughs> You're ready for the next one. Let's go back this way, and I'm going to have to get up and get another one because there's one okay. more I didn't bring out that always throws people for a loop. And you know that's so. This is orange blossom, and I, and I think you know orange blossom is one of those ones that people are familiar with, but. When you taste one that's raw and unprocessed and well produced, you get oranges. You smell. Right. I, you I, smell I've never orange had it. blossoms. I've never had it on, on. I've had it before, but not unprocessed. If you've ever, I mean, you know, no, few of us have been had the had the ability to walk through an orange grove and smell what it smells like. Mm-hmm. But th- that honey but is what it, it is. smells like. The fragrance of the greenery of the leaves yeah. and the blooms of orange blossom. That's what it's like, and you don't just don't experience and, and grittier now than than the rest of it, right? Like just kind right. of like, but you know, but because it's slow to melt in your mouth, mm-hmm. you get all those nuances. Yeah, you just don't get those when you've highly processed a honey, right? To make it liquid on the shelf. It's, I mean, it's almost sugary feeling in my mouth. It's right. kind of a different, but I, but I can. It's got that like, but but it's a but it's a very light citrusy thing. It's not it's not like intensified in any sort no, of way. No, it's not. It's Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a citrus smell. There's mm-hmm. no citrus taste and there's definitely no sour, but it's that it's that floral nature. It's yeah. the citrus floral. And mm-hmm. that's what it is, literally, is yep. Yep. the nectar of of an orange blossom. That's good. All right, I'm going to grab one more here. Okay. You holding out on the Tupelo honey for me? Or what's... I, I want to know why they were singing about it. <laughs> You want to know what? I, I want to know why you why two blows such a big deal. Yeah, and why 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 it was being sung about. If... You've got me. No, frankly, you've got me. You're like, it's great, and I'm sure you're going to get all kinds of nasty tweets because you have a million followers <laughs> who listen to your show, and they're going to tell me I'm awful and I'm wrong and all that. But Tupelo, it's it's okay. It's good. It's a lovely, it's a lovely honey. Um, but to me, compared to what the ones you've tasted and yeah. the one you're going to taste, it's not in terms of flavor. It's not so different. 
the one thing that, you know, really sets Tupelo apart is, you know, the fact that it, you know, if it's a good one, it never really crystallizes well. Mm. Um, it stays liquid and it's in, in very, its raw form. It stays this way. Right. Um, and this one, you'll even see that this one even does crystallize a little bit. And that's why we've actually never carried a Tupelo honey is because they are very often forfeited, counterfeited because mm. it's so it's made in very small quantities, very high price and has this reputation. Mm. Um, so we've never carried it before. And so this is our first time and you know, I'm not, it's not my favorite. It's just not my favorite, but we should try it. Just so, you know, what you're getting into <laughs> this is one of my favorites. This, so this the is the color of this one. This is, so this is buckwheat. It's like dark Brown, almost black. It looks like molasses. It tastes like a barnyard. <laughs> You're selling this one. Oh, this is my, this is one of my favorite. We call it the Guinness. We call it the Guinness of Honey. Mm. And this is a polarizing honey. Either people love it or they really don't like I it. Like, like it. they can't get into it. I, I like but it. I love it because I'm like, not. I'm not a big. For some reason, like I. I Almost like a little smoky. Yeah, and this is like than, yeah, and this has got, got a, it's got a lot of savory notes, a lot of herbaceous notes. It's got the barnyard going on. Oh, it's got a little barnyard. It's fantastic with like fresh ricotta or a fresh chev. Um, I, I can make, see using this in a drink. Actually, it's great in a, it's great in coffee. Actually, oh yeah, yeah. Um, I make I make um, a miso glaze with it that I roast salmon in, yeah. which is that, out that, of sight. I can totally taste that. That I, that is totally out of sight. Um, yeah, so if you you know you add some salty stuff to it, it really like sets it sets it off, sets all those earthy, savory tones, it lets them loose. That's awesome. I definitely taste the barnyard though. Yeah, the it's, barnyard. It's the barnyard is there. <laughs> no joke. All right, I'll let you. I'll let you taste okay. the tubelo now, um, because you asked so nicely. Um, look, I love it. I love it. Um, it's just, it just to me like things like sourwood and meadow foam. And even, you know, the, the yellow sweet clover are more interesting, more diverse than the Tupelo. As, it's, as very, it's, it's very she's floral. A, she's a lovely lady. I mean, she's lovely. Don't get, don't get me wrong. She's, but I, I see what you mean. I mean, it's, it's a honey you would take home to mom. <laughs> right? That's right. I, I, I think maybe my, my, my new favorite might be... Sourwood? I think it's I think it's the sourwood or the I I, I really kind of like the you like the craziness the the, the meadow foam. Well, I will. Uh, I'm going to throw your your website up on the uh, on on my website, but but. It, it's braw.com, is that correct? It is braw.com, B-E-E-R-A-W.com. And there's some, there's some good videos of you doing some cooking on there. There's, some, there's all, all, the, all the varietals that you have are on there and lots of, lots of recipes. Tons lots of, of recipes, tons of recipes as well as just great, easy pairing suggestions. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that that's the, the biggest thing we get is like, what do I do with this? What do I put this with? Yeah. And the easy pairing suggestions are really the most, you know, look at, at the end of the day, not everyone wants to cook every some, but everyone's able to throw together a little cheese platter with a couple of interesting honey. It's like super, yeah. super interesting. Everyone, everyone needs a cocktail, you know, yeah. once a week, at least. Yeah. At least. Uh, 
Um, so yeah, there's some really easy options up there. And, you know, even more importantly, I, I, we try to do a lot of good. I think that we try to do a lot of good, you know, uh, I, you know, we, we are very sustainably minded and mission oriented. Um, and, uh, and that's the way I think, I, I think businesses need to go this way at this point to go this way. And, and educate. And that's part of why I'm doing the podcast and why I wanted to talk to you. Cause in the conversations we've had, I, I I'm getting just the surface and I know that there's like so much. Oh my more. God. Are we just talking about the surface? I just had yeah. a, I just had one of my employees, my, 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 my top Lieutenant just came back from six weeks in Costa Rica. You know, he got, he got to go, you know, four weeks he worked and went to language school at night, you know, went to Spanish school yeah. at night for a couple of hours. And then he went on vacation for two weeks. Who gets to do that? But you yeah. know, like that's, that's what businesses should be doing yeah. is like, he doesn't need to be here every day. Yeah. He is able to move the ball forward anywhere he is in the world. Yeah. And you know, that's how businesses need to think, especially entrepreneurial businesses yeah. that can't afford to pay, you know, $150,000 marketing executive. And these, these sort of huge you know, benefits packages. And, and you know, it's yeah. just, that's just not sustainable. And, you know, offering solutions like that, being creative, you know, and not controlling of employees. Yeah. He's not an employee. He's a partner. Yeah. You know, the same as way as my beekeepers are partners. They are yeah. not people who are just selling me honey. Yeah. And, and if we could think about if we could, I mean, this is, you know, part of what I'm getting at is that we, we are, a you know, every, every, every aspect of our lives, whether we want to acknowledge this or not, is you're, you're, you, we, we live in these communities now that are spread out. But the fact that you and your beekeepers, wherever they are in the States are all connected through this, through this culture, you are a community and, you know, how we treat each other and, and how we support each other. These, these, these are things that now can be done, you know, instantaneously across this <laughs> spectrum of the internet. That's that, that needs to be like really considered in the process. Yeah. I mean, you know, the internet is, is, there's a lot of good to be had, right? Like yeah. we all, we all are all consider like there's so many benefits. There's some detractors yeah. out there, you know, as well, but like, you know, people, people are able to find us and we are able to spread our story and spread our beekeeper stories yeah. um, and spread a lot of good via the internet. And that's a, that's a really good thing. You know, it's unfortunate that the internet's such a, you know, mind numbing suck yeah. that it is as well. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot, a lot of good there. And, uh, we, we benefit from it for sure. We're yeah. able to share these stories and that's that to me, that's a really positive, big positive. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do this because I think, I think there's a, yeah, I think there's a lot of, again. we should, well, maybe we can get into a, a little bit more depth of, of some, some subject matter. But I, I think, you know, if, if, if people want to learn a little bit more about what's going on in the bee community and you want to understand how to support this subscribe to the newsletter for B raw. There's also, he, you, you guys are donating a certain percent of proceeds from yep. the, from the honey. So su- support small suppliers like this and, yep. uh, and check out B raw.com. Thanks Jeremy. Yeah. Thank you. Fun. Zeke Freeman folks. That was my first taste testing on the podcast. Uh, We'll have to see if you uh, if, if there's something that sounds interesting to you on there. You can go check it out at braw.com. And uh, don't forget, there are some amazing recipes in there and some great drink recipes for the summer. 
I, I love the way Zeke runs his business and gives thought to every aspect of it, from the bees to the beekeepers to his own staff. If we want to live in a better world, we have to be better to everyone and everything involved. Goodness is in the details, and if you want to keep what is good, you must support it, even if it costs a little more, as Zeke mentioned. Or eventually, we'll all live in a world that's even more overly processed than it's already become. And like Zeke mentions, find the things that you're passionate about, do the research, and find the most reputable and sustainable sources. With a lot of small businesses like BRA, you can call up and talk to a real person and ask them questions you might have about their products or services because they're often run by a very small team. Thanks for being the thoughtful person that you are. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet and all of our little bee friends who take care of us. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.